at your tables. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year and you're not allowed to say the baker's house, where would it be? <laughs> Introduce yourself. Yeah, you don't have to just start with that. Introduce yourself if you don't know each other and answer the question. Keep it moving around the tables, you extroverts. All right, take about another 30 seconds. All right, we're winding down. All right, quick show of hands. How many of you guys picked somewhere in Ohio? I see that hand. Wow. How many of you guys picked somewhere outside the United States? Wow, what? What a man. I tell you what, what an international group here. All right. All right, let's close in prayer. <clears throat> no, all right. Let's do a quick review. We're in a series on the book of Revelation, and the, uh, not the book of Revelations. <clears throat> it's one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. So the book's at the end of the Bible because it's a summary of redemption. The way I'm reading it, I don't see it as a book of judgment and catastrophes. It's a book of redemption from judgment and catastrophes. It's not a book about what's coming to you. It's a book about what you've been redeemed from. And so the approach we're taking is that it's a... Yeah, okay, I'll take that amen. Thank you. And so uh, uh, it's, it's a book of signs and symbols. And so we see that in the first verse. And so it's, uh, I believe the key to interpreting the symbols in the book of Revelation are the other 65 books of the Bible, not the newspaper. A lot of people are reading the Bible in one hand with the newspaper in the other. And here's the thing. It was actually written to seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century. So it had to make sense to them. You know, no one would draw, write something to somebody and go, hey, you're not going to understand this, but 2,000 years from now, it's going to be great. Right in the opening verses, it says, anyone who hears these words, because they didn't have printing press, they had to read aloud, anyone who hears these words and obeys them will be blessed. There actually was a blessing for them. They had to be able to understand it. I believe <clears throat> that a revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. So when we see him, we become like him. I believe actually what America needs more than anything is a revelation of Jesus. I don't know that we need a revelation of, uh, of, of politics. I, I'm, I'm not sure we need to feed ourselves even more on that or the latest COVID-19 news. I'm not saying some of those things aren't important. Um, some of them are unimportant, uh, some of the stuff in the news. But I, I'm not saying don't do that. Just don't feed yourself on that. We need to feed ourselves on what God is saying. We need to get our uh, beliefs not from what we see, taste, hear, smell, or feel, but what we see in the Word of God. 
So when we get to Revelation chapters 2 and 3, he's actually writing seven letters to seven different churches that we've been going through. And can you believe after all this time, we're, on, we're finally on number 6, church 6. We're still in chapter 3. Uh, then we, uh, we'll end chapter 3 next time, and then uh, we'll be in the throne room in chapter 4. Can you believe it? And what if the throne room's not three miles south of Mars? What if it's actually... Okay, there we go. So um, uh, that's probably enough of that. So okay, so let's just kind of go back there. Can you imagine being a Jew back in the first century, and for 1,500 years your ancestors had kept the feast and kept the law and the Sabbaths and the new moon festivals and the sacrifices, and, and every time they sin, they got, they're going and slaughtering stuff. Every time they have a baby, they're slaughtering stuff. They're, just, they're constantly... Blood, guts, slice, chop, burning. Thing. I mean, it's just nonstop sacrifices. And the only thing that made it possible was because there was an ark there. There was the presence of God represented there. And so for 1,500 years, that was their way of life. Where we are approaching God from the outside. We're obeying these rules. We're trying to please him and, uh, you know, with our actions, but recognizing that's not enough, so we need to have the covering of blood. So there's all this stuff. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and there's a complete shift. And so we're going to talk about this here in a second. But Jesus makes a prophecy in, uh, in Matthew 24 where he says, here's what's going to happen. Uh, there's some bad times coming. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. There's some bad times coming here. And uh, the, the, this temple, it's going to be, there's not going to be one stone left unturned. Like, and I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, if you, he said, if you're pregnant, it's going to be even tougher for you, but I want you to flee to the hills when you see all these things. The, the world will never see such great stress. And he said, um, this generation will not pass away until that happens. So generation biblically was about 40 years. Jesus said that. Let's just call it 30 AD, the year 30 AD, or uh, BCE, if you want to use that. Um, anyway, the, uh, so there's, thir- there's 40 years, and it's interesting. That prophecy was fulfilled within 40 years. There was a, a Roman general named Titus who came and sacked Israel for three and a half years from AD 67 to 70. He destroyed the temple and all that. And it was interesting. The people who listened to the words of Jesus, they actually fled to the hills. There was those who avoided that, this generation. And so what I think is happening here in the book of Revelation is you've got these people who are living between covenants. They've been, all they've known is the old covenant. And it's like God was giving them a grace to get this thing right. And so to each one of these churches in Revelation, he's telling them to repent. Now, repent isn't like tear your clothes, feel horrible about yourself. It means to change the way you think. And so we see throughout this book... Jesus is coming, and he's giving a revelation of himself, of who he is in the midst of that church that's going to give them the power to become the church they need to be. Because some of this sounded familiar. If you're first time here, probably not. But anyway. And so, yeah, so there's this transition time of moving from an old covenant to a new covenant. And it's like he's giving them one generation to get it right. And then he so judged that old covenant that they couldn't even go back to it if they wanted to because there wasn't a temple. And so I believe that the, uh, the Jews who did not accept Jesus, they're perhaps the most pitied re- uh, religion on earth because um, all the religion depends on a temple with the presence of God, and they don't have that anymore. So all they're left with is rules and regulations. So really, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say that God really wanted to make it clear you're not going back to that old way of approaching me in fear and trembling in a bad way, you know, trying to please me with exterior works and Jesus said, there is no other way. I'm going to just get to get ahead of myself here a little bit. You guys remember that part in John chapter 10 where he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Here's something a little shocking. The devil's actually never mentioned in John chapter 10. I'm not saying the devil can't get involved in stealing, killing, and destroying. It's just not talked about in that verse. He said that, um, he said that you know, I'm, I'm the gate. You, know, you come through me the gate. And he said, the thief is the one who um, tries to get in any, get you to come into another way other than the simplicity of Christ. I'll tell you what, it's so tempting for us as, as uh, 21st century believers here to, to still think. They had 40 years to get it right. I feel like we got, it's 2,000 years later, we're still trying to get it right. Now, we don't need to feel bad. Things are changing, thank goodness. But we're still trying to get to God another way. And that's, that's the way of the thief is trying to please him with our exterior works, and I had a bad week, and so I don't feel like I can come to God, and hey, that, that's all done away with. You don't come to God whether you had a good week or a bad week. You come to God because of what Jesus has done. That, that's, he is pleased with Jesus. He united you to Jesus, so now we get in on his good graces. Righteousness means you've entered into a realm where God is not dealing with you based on your behavior. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' behavior. So listen, you guys, you can push your chip. Listen, 
you can, you can only go all in one of two bets, okay? I'm not, I don't even gamble. Our family tried to learn gambling. We tried to learn poker on one vacation, and uh, one of our sons is so extreme in everything he does, he ruined. I mean, the kids literally showed up with bandanas up to the nose, sunglasses, and hats on. I'm like, what is happening here? I didn't even know you guys owned bandanas, you know? And so we're like, we're watching YouTube videos trying to figure out which hands are good and everything. And one of them went all in every time. And it was like, and so we're like, oh, certainly, we're bluffing. He's like, oh, he actually had a good hand. And we just ruined the whole game. There was tear shed. And, but, but I'm better now. And so, but listen, guys, when it comes, when it comes to pleasing God, uh, you have to go all in one of two ways. You are either going all in on your own performance. And God's like, that's fine, but you have to be perfect. You better have a royal flush. All right, I, I don't even know if that's, yeah, I, th I think I just said something there, didn't I? I always thought that was like a really fancy toilet, but it's like, actually, it's, it's like a really good hand. Like, you better have the perfect hand. You better, uh, you better be perfect in this. Or you can go all in on, you know what? I know I can't please God on my own strength. I will never be good enough. It's not like you're trying to be bad, but I can never be good enough. And I'm going all in that Jesus. I'm, this isn't even the notes here, so. Guys, you're pushing your chips to the center table on one of two things. You're betting it all on your works or you're betting it all on Jesus' performance. And I tell you what, there is a rest that comes for saying, I do not have to do this perfect. I'm never going to do this perfect. And when you receive that rest, it says you receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and you begin to reign in life. So I can either push my chips to the center of the table and live in frustration, condemnation. I'm trying so hard. It just isn't fair. Why isn't this working? Uh, you know, me, me, me. Look what I've done. I can, that's the problem. You know, look, look what you've done. Because it's not perfect. You don't got the royal flesh. You don't even got a pair of twos. One of my mentors was actually on a TV show, a game show. I don't remember which one it was. It, was, uh, it wasn't Press Your Luck. It was some, something like that. And, uh, but they asked questions. And so his goal, his goal was to um, win this game show. He was really smart. To win this game show so he could take his wife on a honeymoon to Hawaii. And so um, he's killing it. He's absolutely killing it. He's a pastor. He's absolutely killing it. And then um, the final category came up, mixed drinks. <laughs> and so he's like... Boy, if I do well on this one, the church is going to hate me. <laughs> it's like, it's like and if I, I don't do well on this, we're going to be honeymooning in Wyoming, you know? And so um, they went to Wyoming on their honeymoon. Anyway. I've got to get to verse 7 here somehow. Okay. You're betting it either way. What's that? What happened? Oh, he didn't know the answer. It was some crazy mixed drink or something like that. I don't even know. I know less about mixed drinks than I do poker, and so. <laughs> All right. All right, so here we go. The sixth of the seventh church, the church in Philadelphia, uh, which was in the Asia Minor, not in Pennsylvania. Romans, uh, Romans. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel, I'm just going to read the whole passage, and then we'll go verse by verse. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. <clears throat> this is the description of Jesus. These are the words of him. I mean, what, a, what an introduction there. <clears throat> Verse 8, I know your works. This is Jesus speaking to the church. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. <clears throat> Aren't you glad it just takes a little power to overcome? It was like, you guys are amazing. You guys are the elite. It's like, you got a little power, but you're still winning. <clears throat> Verse 9. Behold, I will, make, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. I'm sorry, at first glance, that just sounds kind of awesome. It's like, hold on. The people of the synagogue of Satan are going to come down and bow down to my feet. That actually sounds amazing, but it's a metaphor, but anyway. It was early this morning I was reviewing these notes. Okay. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. Um, just fast forward. I believe that's what he was talking about of, the, of, of what happened with Titus coming and destroying Jerusalem in AD 67 through 70, that three and a half year tribulation period. It already happened. Uh, verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So he's giving him the promise now. 
Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my, from my God out of heaven and my own new name. That's amazing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, let's look at verse 7 again. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. And it's interesting, this is the only church that Jesus speaks to that he doesn't have anything against. It's the only church out of the seven churches that he doesn't tell to repent. And so I believe the primary, the, the word uh, Philadelphia literally means city of brotherly love. Like, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania didn't get that. This is literally the biblical meaning here. And I want you guys to get this. All of our service for God flows out of love. It just has to make me wonder if that's why they were commended. They, they didn't have anything against them. It's because they did things from that heart of love. Lover, lovers will do more than slaves. <clears throat> you know, you, you can see the people in, in the workplace, you know, when they have a slave mentality is they are going to follow. That's not my job. Just, just so you know, no employer wants to hear from their employee. That's not my job. This is just a little freebie right here. Uh, that, that's not my job. I'm not talking about getting abused and, and all, that, all that type of stuff, but it's okay to go the extra mile. All right. So all of our service for love is out of love. Romans chapter 7 gives us an interesting illustration. It talks about a woman who is married to a very demanding husband whom she can never please. And he says, that's like being married to the law. So when you have pushed your chips to the center of the table and bet it all in your performance, and I can do this, and I'm going to try harder, when you've done that, it's like being married to a husband who is so nitpicking you can never do anything right. And even on your best day, they still find some fault, okay? He said, that's the law. It's, it's perfect. It will, it, the, you know what he called it? He called it the ministry of condemnation. The whole purpose of the law was to show you, you can't do it. And people are like, yes, I can. It's like, no, 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 you're missing the whole point. You can't do it. There was only one who could and did. And so he said, here's the good news, is that woman, she died to that first husband, and now she's married to another Okay, this is a picture of the church. We were married to the law. We died to that. And he says, as long as that, uh, that husband is dead, he has no power. There's no relationship over. We don't serve out of to another. I've got some good news for you guys. We can serve out of love. We don't serve out of religious duty, and I've, I'm going to feel bad. And Jesus said this. He said, if you make the tree right, then the fruit will be right. I fear that too many people, they're trying to rearrange the fruit on the trees without growing it from the inside. You know what you need to do? You need to be more loving. You need to be more kind. Good luck trying. That's like taking oranges off of an orange tree and putting them on an apple tree and calling it an apple tree. That's trying. No, no, no. That's not how the kingdom works. It's not through sweat of your brow. It's through relationship with Jesus, and it will happen effortlessly and easily. If you abide in the vine, you will bear much fruit. If you don't abide in the vine, you will not bear fruit. If you abide in the vine, fruit is inevitable. If you don't abide in the vine, fruit is impossible. Amen. So when I'm talking about being loving, I'm not talking about, you know, hey, guys, this week, how about we just try to be more loving? You know, just be a little bit more patient with those people on the road and with the children. No, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about plugging into a source. God is actually trying to transform you into the same kind of person he is. Let me say it this way. Everything you love about Jesus, he's making you into that same person. This is good news. What do you love most about Jesus? He's making you into that very same thing. There's a verse where it says, the love of Christ constrained us. I want to just hit this for a second, because I really want us to just be free, but also to maybe reframe our thinking that we now are moving from a different relationship. We don't go to, okay, we shouldn't come to church because we feel guilty if we don't. We're not checking a box. So some of you are like, oh, see ya. No. P people at home, not people here. Yeah, so. People at that church over there, and stuff, not this church. So. Anyway, so I, I want you guys, I think we have a whole different motivation. I, I remember when we start, first started praying for the sick, I felt like there was something else constraining me to do it. If I saw someone who was sick and I didn't pray for them, I would feel bad. Like, oh, man, I should have prayed for them. Not should have because I felt this overwhelming compassion, just should have because there was this religious expectation that says if a sick person walks by, you better pray for him or you're not a believer. 
It said Jesus was moved with compassion. So many people are not moved with compassion. They're compelled by some type of direction from leadership, some type of, like, I got to use my gift or, you know, all these type of things. And I just want to free you up, guys. You can, we're moving from a different source now. Uh, well, I was just talking to one of my kids, and he was in a, in a social setting. And he said he saw this uh, young man over there that looked, um, you know, that looked really lonely. And he's like, Dad, something bubbled up in my spirit. Just such an innocent phrase. Something just bubbled up in my spirit, and I just wanted to go over and just encourage him. What happened? He was, uh, the love of Christ was constraining him. He was being moved with compassion. I'm not sure if you've ever had that happen. Compassion in, in the Bible isn't, isn't the same as sympathy. Sympathy is, oh, I feel really bad for that person. Look at them. And they're sick. Oh, that's got to be so hard. Compassion leaves you in that condition. I'm sorry, sympathy leaves you in that condition. Compassion says, I love you enough to come and deliver you something because I'm royalty. The compassion of God is when holy anger meets holy love. It's like, this isn't right. I've got to do something about this. I remember uh, one of the first times I remember actually being moved with compassion. I mean, I'm sure it happened other times, but I was at uh, Michigan State, and I was studying at Walmart, you know, because they had, like, unlimited Mountain Dew refills. I can't believe I used to drink that stuff. All right. Oh, man, it's terrible. Anyway, I guess I'm not going into that. So uh, I got a funny story. I want to tell it. So, okay, uh, Michigan State, Walmart, and I'm there studying, and uh, I, was, I was nuts for Jesus. Hopefully I still am. I was, I was just a real zealot in college, probably without a lot of wisdom. And, you know, we're like, you know, we're witnessing everything that moved me and my, we had six other roommates in a house, and we're baptizing people in the bathtub, and we're not even cleaning it first. We're like, it's, it's more spiritual, with you know. You know. Stay under there. And, and so, um, so we're just kind of nuts. And so I'm just really just loving the Lord. I'm dating Mary at this time. And so God is good. And so I'm there studying. And I noticed this guy walks by. Um, and he I had a limp. And, and so I, man, just something on the inside of me was like, I got to go minister to this guy. And I told my roommates, I said, I have to go minister to the guy. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I'm telling you so I don't chicken out. I said, hold me accountable. And they're like, get out of your chair, you big baby. I'm like, I'm not that kind of accountability. Like, I still have feelings, you know. And so I walk over there. I literally had nothing except just this compassion that was moving me. And I just say, hey, man, I, I don't uh, know how to tell you this. I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. You know, what's going on in your life? And I don't really totally remember the exchange that happened from there. I don't remember. He was like, you know, surely God is among you. I don't remember. There was something like that. But I prayed for him. I obeyed. But you see the difference between, oh, man, if I don't pray for that person, I'm going to feel guilty. But it was like, I've got to do something here. Guys, we get to live from that church of brotherly love, where God is he's literally trying to make you into love, so it's not something you put on. Let me ask you this. Do you think it was difficult? Don't answer this question, because it's, you know, whenever pastors ask questions, it's always a trick. So it's just something we learn in seminary. And so um, do you think it was difficult for Jesus to bless those who cursed him as they were ripping out his beard, as they spit in his face? I would say it was difficult for him it would be difficult for him to not bless them because his character had been so transformed into love. Guys, that's what I'm, I had a pastor used to say this. If they spit in your face, they can make you wet. They can't make you mad. That's what I'm talking about, guys. God is literally trying to change us into those kind of people. I think a lot of people think Christians, we still want to slap them in the face and cuss them out, but we're going to hold back with a smile because we're Christians now. That's not what Christianity is about, is restraining your bad desires. He's trying to change your appetite. All right, verse 7. Are we still in verse 7? Uh, the words of the Holy One. I think I might have put the wrong verse there. No, we're still in verse 7. Okay. <laughs> the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. Let's talk about the key of David. I believe the key of David unlocks intimacy and prayer. David was a guy who lived way ahead of his time. David experienced the presence of God and a grace 800 years before the presence of God and grace was available to humanity. It was like God allowed him to time bend. It was like he allowed him to travel into the future to see what was available and pull that future into his present reality. If you remember the tabernacle of Moses, which was before David, everything was covered and hidden. In order to get to the presence of God, you had to go through all these rituals and cleaning and all this type of stuff. And the, the presence of God was in this ark and it was behind this curtain and it could only get in there once a year. Tabernacle of David... 24-7, access to the tabernacle, praise, worship, Jews, Gentiles. Does that sound familiar? Jews and Gentiles accessing the presence of God anytime they want, 24-7. David had access to that. David saw the unveiled presence of God 
Ark. I don't even know. The next phrase says the unveiled ark. So that's where that came from. Okay, so, so stop looking at me in that tone of voice. You guys, you guys saw the movie, What Happens When You Get Too Close to the Ark. People's faces were melting off. You've seen the movie, right? That wasn't quite the Bible, but you guys get it. But here's the deal. David didn't have to relate to God through rituals and symbols and fear and trembling, and only one person can do it. He experienced something. That's the key of David. Is there's an intimacy. There's an access to things, to everything. Listen, guys, you don't come to church to get to God. The church does not bring you access to God. The shed blood of Jesus brings you access to God 24-7, anytime, anywhere. He's a thought away. He actually is dwelling inside of you. His new address, his new property address is you. And all the property values went up because he's in you now. David would be troubled at night. and uh, I mean, he wrote half of the Psalms. You see, he'd be troubled at night. He would come out and he would lay before the tabernacle, before the presence of God. And as I was uh, just kind of writing some things this morning, have you ever done that? I feel like this is a word for some people. Maybe they're listening or maybe you're here. But when you're so troubled and you don't know what to do, rather than fretting and, and trying to figure it out and scenario planning, just get and lay before the presence of God. I remember uh, there was a time where I was, I was so troubled. I, it, was just, it was just a real battle with some things going on in my life. It was actually the spring of 2008. And... Um, I didn't know what to do. I was, my stomach was in knots. I couldn't sleep. So was, I don't know, two or three in the morning, I'd get up. And I went down to our living room. We we're living in Michigan. And I just laid before the Lord. And I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever had it this sweet before, but for three hours, the Lord ministered to me. And that's when he told me, you're going to move out of the real estate world. We were doing real estate. And you're going to go back into the church world. And that's where I got the calling to come back to Zion, was in that. And I, I feel like there's, this, there's some people here... Whether you're coming up to a season or maybe tonight you just need to say, you know what? I can't figure this thing out on my own. I've been betting it on the wrong hand here. This poker thing's power. You know what? I'm going to have to learn some poker here. I'm going to have to learn it. I'm going to get some better analogies here. So I think the only, yeah, I know the Yahtzee terms, but I don't know that. Yeah. Anyway, man, I didn't have my shake this morning, and so I think it's showing here. None of protein. What am I talking about here? What? The key, the key of David, betting it on the wrong thing. It's all gone. <clears throat> Laying it before the Lord. <laughs> You're like, Jim, why don't you just go lay down and let God do the rest of the service? We'll be fine. Some of you, that's a prescription from you. Maybe you just need to write that in your notes and just say, you know what? I need to just set some time aside and quit trying to figure it out and just lay before. You're like, what am I going to do when I lay before the Lord? Nothing. You're going to just enjoy him, and your mind's going to wander like a college student with a European past to travel. And you're going to go, you know what? Maybe you take a little notebook, and you write those things down. You set them aside. Then you're just still before him, and you're letting him speak. And sometimes so you'll encounter the presence of God, and you don't have any more answers than when you came into his presence, but you have a peace. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for him to warm your heart. The answers will come, but he wants him to speak to your spirit. That's a prescription for some of you today. All right, I know your works. I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Jesus talks about a key, and now he talks about a door. <clears throat> I believe the door that was being opened uh, was the door that gives us access to the kingdom. He was about to shut the door to the old covenant, and he was opening the door to the new covenant. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. The door that is now open is now open to the Gentiles. I don't know if you remember, like, Acts 15, like, you know, the Gentiles start coming in, the house of Cornelius. Peter goes to a Gentile's house. They encounter the Holy Spirit the same way all the Jews just did, and now they're freaking out. They're like, hold on, this isn't, this isn't fit our theology. Don't you hate it when God does stuff not according to your theology? It's like, I don't, I don't even know if I believe this. I remember one of my friends, he didn't believe in speaking in tongues, <laughs> and um, he was at work one day, and uh, the Holy Spirit came on him, and he began to speak in tongues, and he put his hand over his mouth. And he said, the thought went through his mind, I don't believe this. Well, they didn't believe that God could do it for the Gentiles. The Jews were his chosen people. Why did God choose the Jews? Because he loved the Gentiles. The whole reason he was is he would pick one family, Abraham, and one people, the Israelites, and he would be in covenant with them. And the other nations, they would be a light to the nations. 
They were to see that, oh, look, that their God is a good God. Their crops never fail. They always have water, uh, pure drinking water, which was a big deal back then. You know, everything that they touch prospers, that they're, you know, God is the one who heals them. Their women don't miscarry. These are all promises of the old covenant. And as they were in covenant with God, the other nations were to say, oh, that's the one true God. Now, Israel blew it a whole bunch. But here's the good news is uh, we're still the light to the nations. I want you guys to understand this. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. We're actually supposed to do evangelism through jealousy. I'm not talking like weird or like you have to have a different car for every day of the week, although that sounds cool. The, um, <clears throat> what I'm talking about is people are to look and see, you know what, there's something real there. there. There's a power there. There's an access. They've walked through a door. They have a key. They've walked through a door, and there's something in their life that cannot be explained in human terms. And I just want to say, that's, oh, this is good. That is not something, I see a day coming when you will step into this. You've already gone through the door. This is not something you're working up towards. And hey, guys, maybe if the blood moon and the Shemitah line up somehow, then heaven will be happy with us. Heaven is happy with you because of what Jesus has done. We have already stepped into a reality where we have full access. And in the kingdom, it's way bigger on the inside than it is the outside. I'm not sure if you've ever gone to someone's house and you're like, it looks small, and you go and you're like, this place is huge. Like, how are they? This doesn't even make any sense. That's the kingdom, but way bigger. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but they lie. Uh, behold, I will make them come about unto you. So the, Jew, the door is now open to the Gentiles, and he was about to shut the door permanently on the old covenant. <clears throat> and he says there are some folks that they, who say they are Jews, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Remember, that's the same terminology Jesus who said uh, to some, a bunch of Jews in John chapter 8. They're like, we have Abraham as our father. And he's like, no, your father is the devil. I mean... Jesus just said some stuff. Some of you are like, I want to be loving like that. You know. <laughs> I remember I was talking with someone about anger, and they're like, well, Jesus had a whip. I'm like, Jesus could handle the whip. You cannot handle the whip in the presence of your enemies. Let's just be honest here, all right? <clears throat> You're of your father, the devil. Are you ready for this? It's who lives in you that determines whose child you are. It's not what ethnic background you are, what laws you keep, how many feasts you... It's so weird. There's, there's a whole movement of Christianity like trying to go back to keeping the laws. And they're like trying to make this argument. I'm like, have you read the New Testament? My goodness. Dead. Ministry of death. It's done. New covenant. Better promise. Anyway, it drives me crazy. And they're the most obnoxious people on Facebook. I'm just going to say that. So I'm just putting it out there. Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I, what, what I'm going to do through you is going to make them so jealous that they're going to come back and respond and worship at your feet and say, you guys have had the covenant this whole time. What's the synagogue of Satan? It's people who thought they were in, but they were out. They thought that they were in because of they, were, they were Jews. And he's saying, this is the whole Romans 11 thing, where he's like, the, the Gentile church is going to make the Jews jealous. This is a little offensive. Um, the Gentile church will not make the Jews jealous if we're broke. One of the promises of the old covenant is that we would be the head and not the tail, that we would be the lender and not the borrower. And so I've just got some good news for you. God, so people are like, God's going to bring a multiplication anointing. You know, I see it coming. You're in it. Okay, there might be some things we need to learn, some skills we need to develop. None of it, it's not rocket surgery. I'm not saying that God's replacing the Jews. What I'm saying is he's drawing a bigger circle. And he's saying what I'm about to do is not, this is what he's about to do back in AD 70. We're in it now. What I'm about to do is, is not going to be ethnic in nature. It's going, to, it's going to be Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. And the only way into the kingdom is not through ethnic background or pedigree. The only way into the kingdom is through the greater son of David, the door. And you now have the key. I don't know why, I just felt like doing some type of little jig there or something. Like, I'm looking for knights, and I don't know what that was. My goodness gracious. I feel like slaying a dragon. Babe, tonight we're watching Knight's Tale. Okay. It's not going to be through keeping the feast. Uh, uh, Andrew Womack talks about spiritual dyslexia. You know, normal dyslexia is when you read something backwards. You read God, you read it as dog. I mean, you know, that's, that's a big difference there. And so, unless you're Hindu, sorry, that was terrible. So, that was terrible. That was unnecessary. <clears throat> Here's what happens, though. So, a lot of times we read the scriptures backwards. 
And so we see a verse like this. It says, um, walk in the spirit, and then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And get rid of all. And so somehow it gets communicated. You know what? If I want to walk in the spirit, I can't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I got to get rid of all this stuff. I got to get rid of all the bad, and then I can walk in the good. How many of you guys ever like, felt that way or heard a message that way or made you feel that way? Okay, two people. That's good. This is great. This is, this is connecting here. Or I heard another one, if you love me, obey my commandments. All right, I got to obey the commandments to show God I love him. No, no, no. If you love him, this is going to be the natural expression of it. It's like, if you love your wife, you're going to serve her. You're going to be nice to her. It's going to be an expression. It's not like, I got to serve her, then maybe I'll love her. You know, no, no, no. And so walk in, the, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so, guys, you don't have to try to be good so God's spirit will move. God's spirit is in you. All you need to do is cooperate with him. Just honor him. Just turn your attention towards him. Just put your dependence. God, I'm no longer depending on my strength to be nice to this person. I'm depending on your strength. And guess what? You've moved from weakness to grace. In my, my grace is made perfect in weakness. What's weakness? I can't do it. You can. Okay? So let's get out of this spiritual dyslexia. It's not about your amazing ability to be a Christian. You cannot live the Christian life. Only Jesus can. This might be the hidden secret of the, of, the, uh, of the Christian world today is people trying to be like Jesus. You can't be like Jesus. The only one who can be like Jesus is Jesus. That's why he said, it's no longer I who live. I'm not even getting to this stuff here. We gotta, get, I gotta hurry up. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in me. I like how uh, one translation says it. It's Christ expressing his life through me. Are you seeing the difference? Old covenant is I gotta try. I, I'm gonna be like Jesus, you know. And you know, boy, today, you know, I blew it at work yesterday, but today I'm gonna be. No, 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 no. It's not about rededication and new commitments. And I promise and I swear I'll do this. And no, no, no. It's like I give up to all that. I die to all that. I'm resting that Jesus, you've got what I need. You've got the strength. Anyone need wisdom? He's got the wisdom. Anyone need patience? And you got two-year-olds in here. He's got what you need. But the way you access it is by depending on him, recognizing you can't do it, resting that what he has done is enough, recognizing you've already gone through the door. I've got full access. You know, slaves behave differently than, uh, than sons. You know, uh, workers behave differently than children. And so, you know, we have, uh, we have people that come spray for bugs, you know, at our house, and so we live by the woods. And so, um, you know what I've never seen? I've never seen, like, it would be weird if one of the bug guys... Like, helped himself in the fridge and started making a sandwich. I'm like, I feel like there's a boundary being crossed here. It's just as inappropriate. I don't know what you're doing, right? But my kids, they have no problem raiding the fridge at all hours of the day, right? I want you guys to see, you are not entering the presence of God like a servant. Okay, you know, I can't really touch those things. That's just for, that's just for those special people. You have full access. You can jump in the beds. You can run around. You can feast. You can partake of his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, power, wisdom, prosperity, etc. I don't even know if I'm getting to anything here. Oh, Lord, help me. All right, let's go to verse 10. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I kind of already spoiled this one. I believe that the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24. This generation will not, will, uh, will not pass away until these things come to pass, the temple destroyed and all those type of things. So that hour of trial was already fulfilled. Uh, and the good news is the people who listened to the words of Jesus, history actually records this, that there was, uh, there was these believing Jews who uh, fled to the hills and all that stuff didn't happen to them. They, they heeded the words of Jesus. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so no one may seize your crown. Are you ready for this? Don't let anyone steal your right to reign. When I'm talking about reigning, I'm not talking about sitting fat and sassy and you got a bunch of servants and I'm just bossing. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm not picking up that piece of paper. I'm not talking about that kind of foolishness. But um, is it possible for people to take your crown of victory? I would say yes. Okay? People will try to say to you, who do you think you are? Your own self is going to say, who do you think you are? Listen, you are not who your past experiences say you are. You are not who your parents said you were, unless they're prophesying good things to you. You are not who your boss says you were. You're not who other people say you are. You are who your dad says you are. And who he says you are is like his son. 
with access to everything that his son has. He loves you. Think of the passion the father has for the son. He has that same passion for you. He has put you into his son, the safest place you could ever be, so he could always treat you how he's had in his heart from eternity. Pure love. Romans 5.17, it says, Through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in this life. It doesn't mean there's never going to be a problem. It means that we have a royal solution to every problem. We are rise above those problems. Guys, I'm not talking about like a life of ease. There will be trials, but trials are the stepping stones to your destiny. The upgrade that you're praying for is dressed in a trial. Because God wants to add something to you, not take something away from you. What's James 1, uh, 2? It says, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you. It was, I remember the first time I realized that we were actually supposed to live a victorious Christian life. It was, it was the late 90s, and I started listening to Andrew Womack. And it was like someone came from another dimension. It was like he was talking about a victorious Christian life. And I, was th- I thought it was just supposed to be like, you know, hang on until Jesus comes, and, you know, hopefully when the rapture comes, we'll be found faithful and we won't get left behind. You've already been left behind. He went to heaven, left you behind for a purpose, to transform the planet. How's the planet going to get transformed? Well, let's have a big church service. No, no. It says the, uh, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The hope of this world experiencing glory. What's the glory? It's God's goodness on display. I, don't want, I can tell you how I got there, but it's God's goodness on display. The goodness of God will be seen through his people because we're going to look like him. Remember uh, in chapter 1 it says that he's coming on the clouds, and we found out we were the clouds. We're the ones who were revealing Jesus. Clouds are people. Chapter, or verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. In the year 17, AD 17, there was a powerful earthquake that shook the city of uh, Philadelphia. And uh, so I think hearing these words of encouragement from Christ uh, greatly helped them. He will make you a pillar in the temple. In other words, you're going to be secure in his presence while the world is shaking around you. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God. It's almost like tattooing here. I will write him, no, don't give me that. I will write him, I'm not against tattoos, I'm against pain, which is why I don't have a tattoo. <laughs> and you guys have heard my thing on that too, as you get a little bit older, am I allowed to tell that one? Yeah. As you get a little bit older, you know, things are beginning to shift around a little more, and so I'm just realizing, you know, a butterfly in your back when you're 20 becomes a buzzard in your crack when you're 80. So that's why, <laughs> I'm like, you know what, no tattoos for this guy. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him. See, I haven't preached in like four weeks. Last time we did that activation thing. I'm a little feisty here. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Interesting picture. Instead of us going to heaven, heaven's coming down. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The name of God written upon you is better than the mark of the beast or a microchip. So many people are so worried about uh, uh, the beast name being written on him. Here, God writes his name on you. We're going to see actually in a couple chapters, um, right before the mark of the beast, God puts his name on people again. Guys, there may be a mark of the beast, but you've also been marked by him. The name of God will be written upon you. These are powerful promises. God wants to inscribe his name upon you, and it's the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is the bride. Let me just close with this little run here. You're going to have the bridal revelation come upon you written into your DNA. The written into into the code of your life will be inscribed with God himself and the destiny of being his bride. All you have to do to be victorious is to rest in the conquering grace of Jesus Christ. This isn't like, oh, what can I do to be victorious? He already has been victorious. Rest in that. Draw strength from that. Push your chips into that, and the strength, the grace will come for you to be victorious. You don't need to be mean, but you do need to be ferocious. I'm not talking about being, I don't know how to say it, mamby-pamby Christians who are just full of niceties. Okay, I'm not talking about being mean, but we need to be ferocious about this thing. Let the men of God roar like lions. Let the women of God roar like lionesses. Our identity is not what people think of us. It's not in your title or your name badge. Don't get your self-worth from your net worth. It's not about your position at work or your position in this world. 
your identity and who you are. Listen, people may not know your name, but God knows your name, and he's going to put his name on you. And nothing is better than that. The name of my God, the city of my God, that bridal city will be upon you, the new Jerusalem. That's all I got. So here's how I want to close this. Yeah, yeah God, here's how I want to close this. Is um, Jesus is commending this church. He's encouraging them. So I want to do this in a couple parts here. Um, I want you to just take a few minutes to your table. And someone at the table need encouragement? Listen, guys, there is, listen. Okay, let me just say this. The Bible does nothing but tell us to encourage one another. It never tells us to stop. It's never like, hold on, and you get, you get a little too much encouragement there. I hate, I, you know, I feel like so many Christians feel like they have the ministry of cranial downsizing. I don't want your head to get too big. Like, don't worry about their head too big. The Bible says, humble yourselves or God will humble, uh, humble you. It's not your job to humble other people. You're not the humble police. You're not the humility police. So the Bible is like, encourage, 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 okay? And so we all need encouragement probably all the time. So here's what I want to do is just take a few minutes and just uh, go around the table. Hey, I could use some encouragement in this area. And then just take uh, 30 seconds and pray. Okay, we're going to do that. And then we're going to shift gears. We've got uh, one more thing for us to do. Okay, and uh, just know this. Not everybody likes to pray out loud. And so there's, there's someone at your table is going to be an extrovert. They don't mind praying. And so, um, all right, so, hey, go around the table. Hey, does anyone need encouragement? Just say, yeah, I could really use some prayer here. Boom, 30 seconds. Go to the next person. See you in a few minutes. Let's take about another 60 seconds.
You know, let's take another minute. You guys are still praying. It's going to be better than anything I got to say. All right, let's try to wind it down here. All right, here's the second part. You guys uh, just get a pen for this one, something right with. Here's what I want you to do. I want to say, uh, Holy Spirit, is there someone you want me to encourage? Or put it this way, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to encourage this week? And then just whatever name or face comes to mind, just jot it down. So just, let's do that. Holy Spirit, is there someone you want me to encourage this week? Name or face, write it down. If you can't think of anyone, write down your spouse's name. They'll appreciate it. Or one of your kids. Or your boss. So write that name down, and then just commit this week that it can be as simple as, um, hey, I was thinking about you. How, how are things going? And people, boy, that can mean a lot to somebody. Or it can be, uh, you can take one of those prayer to prophecy things that we did two weeks ago and, and turn to them. Just whatever it is, the Lord will give it to you. But just a simple call, hey, I was thinking about you. How are you doing? That counts. All right? All right. So here, all right. That's it. And so we're going to uh, take up an offering now. And so.